Welcome to the OA Light a Candle Meeting Podcast. Visit our website at www.oalaig.org where you'll find three separate speaker feeds with over 200 speaker files, forms for ordering CDs for these speakers, and a place to donate to keep this special service active. I would now like to introduce our speaker for tonight, Walter. My name is Walter, and I'm a compulsive overeater. Hello, everyone. I thank God for my uh, abstinence and ongoing recovery, and uh, I ask God to help me say exactly what I need to say, and nothing more, nothing less, Thy will be done. And uh, if that doesn't keep me on the beam, I'll start again. Thank you, Atusa and Chase, wherever you are. It's always an honor and a privilege. Uh, I was at an OA meeting. Actually, it was a steering committee meeting earlier this week. And uh, because this was given to me by an OA member, I wanted to share this with the group. But this is the original prescription written by Dr. Bob for Alcoholics. And Dr. Bob was one of the co-founders of Alcoholics Anonymous, if any of you don't know who he, who he was. And I made uh, 50 copies. And it just says, always remember it. Trust God, clean house, and help others. So, one or two or three of those in your big book. So, um, this is a, a good time for me to share. You know, I've spoken here before, and I know some of you know my story. Uh, you know, what it was like really hasn't changed, but uh, this is my 10th year uh, coming out of relapse. And uh, actually, it was January 28, 1999. Uh, I took another job. Um, and I just said recovery's number one. You know, it was just going to be number one. I had relapsed, and uh, I wouldn't have said that at the time, uh, but relapse is the best thing that ever happened to me. And during that period of time, I'm very lucky that I didn't go out and get drunk. Uh, I was uh, I was uh, trying to live vicariously, uh, half measures, and I was coming into meetings, getting my speaker on, and I wasn't too, came in with a lot of AA arrogance, if there is such a thing, but I thought I had some. I'm also, if I didn't mention, I'm a recovered alcoholic. And... Uh, that these are the, these past ten years are the best years of my life. They just really are. Uh, I, I can remember so much of what happened, and my head spins when I think. And it's really been all about me, but in a good way. And um, I started with that retreat, you know, in, in March. I actually could have claimed my abstinence in March of '99, uh, but I didn't do that until I got a, a sponsor, uh, and that happened July 4th. So, God willing, July 4th, I'll have. Um, uh, ten years of continuous abstinence, and uh, in OA I've had a top weight of, uh, of at least 280 pounds. I might have had the dubious distinction of hitting 300 pounds. I'm not fa- fond of scales. I'm still not, and uh, I vowed that would never happen to me. And that happened to me in sobriety. Uh, and before that, in 1985, I pulled a geographic from Connecticut, and I didn't know what a geographic was. I just thought if I'd change coast and come out here and to be quite honest, I sought refuge on my parents' couch in Huntington Beach for a couple of months, uh, and that did, didn't change it. But I went to that first rehab, and I was 269 and a half pounds, and I was like, what the heck? I was always about 215, 218, and if I got up to 230, you know, somehow I got back. I just didn't get it. I didn't know what was going on. I, was, I, was, I had crossed the line a long time ago. But uh, before I get into all of that, um, you know, these last 10 years, I, I, I've been on over 20 retreats. And one of those retreats, I wrote a letter to God to help me with meditation. And I ended up studying an Eastern religion for two years. I got out of the blue, just said, Walter, by the way, and Rosemead, and, you know, and I, I don't want to mention the outside stuff. I'll talk to anyone about it after. But sometimes, you know, you mention something from a podium, and, and a newcomer says, oh, I don't need the steps, I'll do that. And, no, 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 no. The steps, the steps, the steps, the steps. And uh, then I committed myself to a pretty serious uh, mode of therapy. 
And I said, okay, I'm not going to run. I'm going to do this. And I did it for, for about 4.7 years. And I, I, I got some good stuff out of it. I learned some stuff. And then I read, I read the author of this therapy, is uh, Wilhelm Reich, uh, Character Analysis. I don't mention, mind mention that book because no one will ever read that. And I read about three-quarters of it. And what he said, honestly, he says, I can't help alcoholics. And I was like, automatically, I went back to the ABCs. I said, well, I've heard this before. And I wasn't quite done with that yet. And, and I ran into this man on a retreat, uh, and I did an inventory just on my mother and father. And I had never done that before. They'd certainly come up on, on fourth steps and stuff. And what I got in touch with was that uh, I had some uh, a lot of forgiveness for my dad and appreciation. I had a lot of anger with him, um, but was uh, some improper emotional bonding with my mom. And what I had done was I had picked a therapist, a female therapist, that was a lot like my mom. Wouldn't let me be who I really was, and stuff like grow a mustache, move to, move to the west side, start voting liberal, just some boundary issues. And when I read this, and I'm not knocking any of that, but it wasn't it wasn't for me. But when I, the, the reason I share this is because of the power of the steps. Self will not reveal self to self. And having read that, I knew exactly what I needed to do. Because not only was I having problems with intimacy, I had problems with, with men. I, I just I just had problems. And what happens, I, I find a male therapist, and it's just been, it's just been great. I'm a low-back sufferer. I could give a, a three-hour talk on that. And I prayed to God. I said, God, I've done everything I can for my back. And the answer that came back about nine years ago was yoga. And I said, yoga? Man, I want to play basketball. You know, so that macho stuff. And I started at a senior center. And uh, I took the yoga like a duck takes the water. And uh, there's been no surgery for Walter. And I keep learning more and more and more about me. And, and uh, uh, I just got out of orthotics. I was in orthotics for 10 years, and my back went out. And somewhere between down dog and plank, and <laughs> I, I damn near binged over it. I was in so much pain. And, and, and the only smart thing I did was I went to a meeting after talking to my sponsor, and I pitched about it, and I met a man that, just a further healing, you know. Uh, I could just go on and on what's happened to me. You know, I am I am a miracle of mental health, and these last 10 years have just been spectacular. And I know it seems in my life every 10 years I, there's something new coming up for me. You know, I don't know what it is, um, but I know it's going to be good. Uh, this meeting is very important to me. I really appreciate everyone who's really stepped up. It's taken on a great life of its own to see the people that are doing service here. Um, Early on, when I got into recovery, uh, my sponsor, uh, Bob, he, he got me listening to tapes. In fact, he helped install a tape and uh, a cassette deck in my car. And uh, I had never said this, but I always had, uh, you know, there's a, I'm loaded with old ideas, and it's always about uncovering, discovering, and discarding. And I just, you know, I just had this notion in my head. I wasn't sharing this with anyone, but this was a blockage to my growth. And I was thinking, well, anyone who had gone to an Ivy League school could not be an alcoholic or, or any of these other exalted things. And I just didn't know it. Yeah, I laugh at it now, but at the time, it was like... And out of the blue, this is just how it works. You know, and Bob says, well, the, first, the first cassette he gave me, and this is back in 1987, when I was 13, he gave me was, was by uh, Sandy Beach called Drop the Rock. And in that tape, this tape, he, he talked about... Well, he, not only did he go to an Ivy League school, but he was... Um, a fighter pilot for the Marines. I mean, he's a very high-functioning man. And uh, and this just blew me away, and I started saying, okay, I get this, I get this. 
Because when I had those old ideas and I was keeping it to myself, it was delaying my progress. And so I've been a very, very big believer in listening uh, to uh, cassettes constantly. Because my sponsor says, Walter, what do you listen to all day You know, when you're driving around? And at the time, the honest answer was all the rock stations. He said, no, 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 you have the mind of a chronic addict. He said alcoholic, but it's addict. And so I started listening to, to, to tapes and what morphed into CDs. And that's really, that is really, really paid well. And that's what people get to do here now. They get to listen to speakers in, in, in their shame at home and find out that they're not the only ones that chased a cheesecake into a dumpster. Or I'm not the only man in the world that's ever used laxatives to control my ways. And I've done that. Um, I, I, I could never, I, you know, it, it, there was times in my drinking where it made good sense for me to vomit, and I refused to vomit. It came out my ears and nose before it came out of me. I just, I just, so I didn't understand that. But still, I'm a high-fat, high-quantity eater. So I've been listening to, to uh, cassettes, and I'm a big believer in that, and I know what it's done for me. And Sandy Beach has been a major part in my life. I didn't know him for years, and he kept mentioning Clancy this, Clancy that. So I finally called Clancy at the mission. I know how to find Clancy. And I said, where's who's this child? Oh, yeah, he's a great guy, real smart guy. And I said, well, do you have his phone number? And he said, well, no, he lives in Tampa. So I called him. I called him, and I told him what, what I thought of him and what he, what he meant to me. And, uh, and then I got to meet him. Uh, Leslie told me, uh, I don't know how the heck we knew, I guess on that retreat you're on with him. And I got to see him live and introduce myself. And then a couple of weeks, I'm going to be on a retreat with him here in Malibu. So... Uh, I just can't say enough about listening about CDs and tapes and all that and what it's done because it's really, we can talk about, uh, you know, losing the weight and all that, and that's all important, but the real, the problem is, and it tells us clearly, it's, it's centered in our mind. And my mind needs training, uh, treating all the time. And when I talk about praying without ceasing or conscious contact, that, I'm deadly serious about that. Do I do that all the time? No, I don't do that all the time. So anyway, I'll get into now the more generic pitch, and uh, I have a picture here that uh, it's kind of spooky when I look at this. This is back in 1984, and I was in Connecticut, and uh, it's from a YMCA at uh, Darien, Connecticut, and all I ever did was join. I don't think I ever went in there. <laughs> and my estimate is I was probably 269 and a half pounds at this point, or closing therein, uh, because I was only months away from, from uh, coming back out here. No, actually, it was my yeah, it was my second rehab that I found out that I was at that weight. I came out of here twice. My brother had me down at uh, Narconon once down at uh, Olympic and Western, and that was kind of a gnarly neighborhood then. Maybe it still is. I don't know. <laughs> so I passed this along, and I was uh, on the fast track um, at a company, FedEx, that I loved, and I, I had uh, started in ground ops, and that's a nice way of saying I was a courier. And then I um, uh, became a salesman. I became the number two sales rep in the, in the nation, and, and, and I was promoted into management. And I took that job with, uh, and I knew I couldn't drink or use. And I went out, and uh, the employees had a party one night. And they said, come on, come on, boss. And I said, all right. You know, and I, I had a, whatever beer I had, they saw the other side of midnight, because before the end of that night, I was snorting cocaine and all kinds of stuff. So 1984 was the worst of my life. Uh, but it was also before I came out here, and I did not come to Los Angeles for the 12-step experience, but I came here for the 12-step experience. So, all right, I'll have to speed to this. My first recollection of a, of a food thing, I was a young boy, 
uh, I don't know, four, five, six. And I had a, uh, I was raised, I was born in New Jersey, raised in Connecticut, and I had one of those aunts that didn't have um, kids, and she would love to take my brother and I shopping. And my brother could spend hours, it seemed, in front of mirrors, you know, not me. I was like, give me the rags, let me get out of here. I was just a problem child. You know, I just was, and I'll talk a little bit about that. And uh, this aunt bought me a pair of uh, boxing shorts. And she didn't say it, and I wasn't fat, but the message to me was I was fat. And I went into, I had a real hysterical reaction to that, cried, and um, it sometimes it hasn't been brought up in a long, long time. And where I got that idea, I could speculate, you know, in my family, there was alcoholism, there was uh, uh, food addiction, there was debting. And my mom, you know, she would go up and down with the weight, but as long as she was pretty, it was A-OK. My dad, emotionally, when he, uh, it bugged him. So maybe somehow I picked up on his feelings or the shame about it, but it doesn't matter. So now, the first wound in my life is I'm fat. But there's something wrong with me. I really didn't get to the fat thing until I was about 16. There's something wrong with me. And then the next traumatic thing that happened to me was I was left back in sec- second grade. So there's something wrong with me, and I haven't quite uh, affixed the word fat yet. And then the next one was, I'm stupid. But I held on to the stupid thing. And school was just a pain in the ass. I was flat-footed. I, okay, they had me taking tests. I wanted. To, I had come from a musical family. They wanted me to play guitar. I was told my fingers were too short, so they put me on the accordion. I didn't want to, so I lost at that. And on and I needed a drink by the time I hit about 13, just to start <laughs> feel, feeling even. You know, it's just a real... Uh, it just everything was a hassle. Nothing flowed. Just, you know, it just from the start of my life, just to, to be quite honest... And I don't blame my parents. I love my mom and dad. I, I know they did the best they could. They come from serious wounds themselves. They really come from some nasty stuff. Um, you know, but we all do. You know, we all do, and, and there's a way to, to heal and work on this stuff. So, uh, you know, and I hit about puberty, and I started drinking probably from the time I was 14. Picked it up. I had a real hard time when I hit puberty. I, I, I still, you know, you women have a lot of power over me. I just do, to be quite, I mean, I just do. I can really spin on fantasy and projection and all that stuff. Um, but my parents wanted to send us to a, uh, to this very good private school, Jesuit school, to keep us away from the drug and alcohol crowd. And my brother was able to get in there pretty easy, but it, it took a lot to get me in there. And I had real problems uh, reading and, and comprehension and all that stuff. And my father kept having me read, like, uh, Robinson Crusoe, Tom Sawyer, Gulliver's Travels. I had to do book reports before I could get out. And I somehow got into that school. And these were serious students. I mean, I've been around serious students, but some of these guys were just... I always like to share this story. This one guy... He said, he's a sophomore year, he goes, I'm going to be a political cartoonist. And I was like looking at him like, what is he talking about? And he's a political cartoonist, and he went to one of the best, and, and whatever. Um, and what happened was, uh, by I don't know how it happened, and, and when you let go, the right things happen, as I look back on it. And uh, I was in a study hall, and I, and, I, and I needed these experiences. This is why I share this. I... Uh, uh, started playing chess and I was a damn good chess player. I took to it like a duck took to water. It was very hard for people to beat me and I was on the team, so that was good. And then I took this black studies class uh, because I was raised in, in a small town in Connecticut. Didn't, I just kept seeing stuff on the TV, especially out here in California, the SLA, the Black Panthers, you know what was going on with uh, uh, Martin Luther and all this stuff. So I took this class. I was the only white guy in it. And I uh, was give the first book I read. If he if he give me something else, I might not be sharing this story. And I read the uh, uh, I think it's called the autobiography of Malcolm X. I could not put that down. I, I never had been so captivated by a book. 
I could not put it down, so I found that I could read. I just needed to find the literature that was meant for me, and that's nonfiction. And uh, the other good thing about that story is that uh, I don't, you know, Malcolm X was not a nice guy; he was a sick man, and he ended up in jail. And he saw um, Allah. He, he converted it to Islam, and from there he went to become quite an intellectual and a political, a social force, an activist, just an amazing, amazing man who continued to grow. Now I'm not suggesting that I am like Malcolm X, but I have found through, through the 12 steps, I have gone from a six-foot-one amoeba going nowhere to be given a life because of a, because of a power, with, you know, conscious contact with a higher power. So I like to remember that story, and that, that, those two things really gave me some semblance of a, high, of, of, of a self-esteem, which I was sadly lacking. Got into college and uh, became a social chairman and, and a uh, treasurer of this fraternity. I had plans to move on to the to the university system. That never happened. Uh, got involved with a couple ladies and partying, and all my all my uh, my addictions were in full bore. And my fantasy was, or my idea goal, it wasn't really a committed goal that I would become a vice president for IBM. And the reason I said a vice president, my father was a vice president. He was an engineer. And I said IBM because it was IBM was all over Western Connecticut and New York. So, sounded good. Well, I got out of college and I was a courier for Federal Express. And my girlfriend had gotten me that job or told me, she said, how would you like to drive for Federal Express? And I said, what's well, that, a credit card company? I had no idea. And it was the best thing that ever happened to me because it was giving me money I didn't know I needed. It gave me benefits. I was flying all around the country for free. And I said, this is pretty damn good. And then I told them about my college education and I thought I should be in sales. And uh, they weren't impressed with my background, and so I took a Dale Carnegie class, and I, I got the Wall Street Journal every day, and I read it front to cover, and I gave myself enough of a vernacular to, to pass an interview, and I became the number two rep in the nation. When I believe in a product, you can't stop me. You can't stop me. And in fact, I was told by the director back then, he said, would please stop selling? You're, you're blowing out the plane up in Hartford International, and that felt good. And I got an award, and I have a picture of me with... One of the top entrepreneurs in this country, the guy who founded Federal Express, just an amazing, amazing man. And when I got off that podium, I promptly ended up in a jacuzzi, drunk out of my ass. And I'm not proud of that. And so, uh, got promoted, they, they, you know, and, and you saw what happened to me in 1984. And I knew what Alcoholics Anonymous was, and this, that, and the other thing, and my brother was very concerned. He was out here in California, and he was talking to me, and I guess I was just open and honest that I was still partying. And I, what I did, I'll just talk about nights. Every night, I would go to places in Brooklyn, New York, I had no business being. I was snorting cocaine. I was smoking cigarettes, three packs of Marlboro a day. Case of Heineken was not a problem. I was in places I had no business being. I like to say I was hanging out with lower companions, but that's exactly what I was. And I would get home, and I would end the night with four double quarter pounders with cheese and maybe a milkshake and get into arguments with other nuts like me that were out that late. Somehow get up and go to work the next day, and I would vow I'm never going to do that again. Ever. I'm not going to. And come three o'clock, I was doing the same damn thing. So I had come out here for a rehab at 215, 218, and when I came back to the second rehab, this one was in Beverly Hills or near the Beverly Center, I was 269 and a half pounds, and I was in shock. I said, what the heck is going on here? And my, my arse is on fire. My life, and all I cared about, my vanity, you know. 
So it's easy to diet when you're smoking. I got out of that rehab. I became a, a periodic because it's very tough to drink and drive here in Los Angeles. It just is. It's a lot easier in Connecticut. I, you know, it just is. And uh, I lost the weight. I, my famous tuna on, on whole wheat with Brussels sprouts, one apple, and a lot of coffee. And I went from 269.5 down to 184. I met her. She had a daughter. She lived in West Hollywood. The Hollywood sign wasn't too far. I'm from Connecticut. This is like just unbelievable. Until she shared she didn't like the way I spoke to her when I got drunk. And I had to concede. And so when that relationship was over, that was it. I, I was sick of losing. I said, Jesus, I've given up so much. And uh, came out here. Uh, I just started going to Roxbury. And the miracle of miracles happened. If all I ever did was get sober, believe me, I was way ahead of the game. And the reason I share that is because of the power of these steps. You know, and then the next addiction, three years later, I wanted to start, you know, hiking and doing stuff. It's just growing. It's just, you, you will grow in a 12-step program. And uh, to, to the chip people, congratulations. Just keep coming back. And congratulations, Michael. It's been a hell of a year. I'm sorry I started off without congratulating you guys. Just keep coming back. This is a miracle grow program, and I believe that even if you just keep coming back. A lot better when you work the steps. But... Um, so I quit smoking, and I knew I had to go to Nicotine Anonymous. The only addiction that ever left me without a 12-step program was uh, cocaine. It's the only one. I don't know why, but it did. And this is where I get into the food. And so I gave up cigarettes in 1989, and I was about 195 pounds, and I went to 280-plus. And that really sucked, because I'm now sober, trying to have a life, and I'm taking up two chairs in AA meetings, and it was just like... I had a very good sponsor, this guy Bob, who's a God and step man. And he sent me to Nutrisystems, and, and that food plan works well, but when I'm standing on the scale, they're not saying, are you sad, Walter, because you didn't go to a better school? You're feeling lonely because what's-her-name dumped you? You know, all this stuff that they don't address. That's what the steps are for. And so I kept relapsing and slipping and sliding, and when Bob said to me, just quit picking out, that was mm-hmm. a light went off, and I said, that's like a drunk. That's like me going to Six and San Pedro and just saying to one of the homeless people, just get a job. You know, put the plug in the jug. God, move to Valencia. You can do it. <laughs> so I went to L.A. and 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 I and I um, uh, the, the Saturday Men's Day. I could never imagine imagine sitting here in front of women talking about you know my my food stuff, my body stuff. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm just there's the last thing in the world. It worked. You know, if, you, if you'd showed me this when I first got sober, I probably would have said, I'm going to keep drinking. This is just a little too much. <laughs> and I'm not kidding. Um, but it works. Coming to churches, holding hands, me dumping my stuff, emailing my food in, it works. You know, I, who knew? You know, I, I thought I had to go back and start over again in high school and start running 10 miles a day and doing sit-ups from the ceiling and all that crap. But, you know, no, no. So I got into OA. I learned about uh, food inventory, uh, the gray area, the uh, triggers, uh, gray, abstinent, very, very important. I knew what triggers were with drinking and cigarettes. never knew about sugars and all that. And I did great. And I failed. I, I had a... So I, I got down to about 205, and that was back in 1992, because I went back to my 20-year high school reunion in 1993, and I would never have done that if I didn't have the absence that I did. And I did a lot of things, and I, um, but I failed to enlarge my spiritual condition. I was just trying to live vicariously. I wasn't treating resentments. I was after money. Uh, you know, all, all, all kinds of stuff that I was doing that you shouldn't be doing in recovery. And I relapsed. And it was the best thing that ever happened to me. 
and I rededicated myself to this program. I shut my mouth about the tools. Uh, you know all the retreats I go to. Um, and I, one of the biggest things, and I'm very passionate about this, is uh, I, I, when I got a sponsor, I started doing things that I never thought I would do. Uh, and I relapsed. When I say I relapsed, I don't want to just... I, I went up probably back up to about 260. I wouldn't get on a scale, but the best way to describe it was uh, I had a Camry at the time. My, Camry, my car kept getting smaller and I kept getting bigger. And it started at a jack-in-the-box. And I had one milkshake and it just started the whole, the, the whole mess. And when I cried for help, you know, the teacher appeared and I got a sponsor. And... Um, what is that? And I'm down to my last five, right? Okay. Thank you. Um, so I got, I got. He was a double winner. He was double. He's an alcoholic, and I needed that. You know, I, I just, I just did. And he was a, he was a very rare species, because, um, and I'm, I'm an alcoholic. I'm going to say I've never seen anyone in AA. I've never seen anyone outside of OA, or any of the, any of the twelve step food programs. Get, get this under control. I never have. And I'll back up a bit. When I first got into recovery, I, I, I saw the third step and I said, I was an altar boy. I mean, you know, God were the answer. So I went and saw a therapist. And, and, and uh, the therapist said, I can't believe the first therapist I choose. And she says, Walter, the only one that handles addiction is God. Go get sober, then come back. You know, and if she'd said something else, who knows? Maybe I wouldn't be here. Um, so I hooked up with, with this guy, uh, Roy, in fact, the guy who started this, this meeting, and it was just, I just shut my mouth about my credentials and other programs, and I, and I had to learn the hard way um, that the credits aren't transferable. And I do work other programs, but when I go into them now, I shut my mouth. You know, I just don't tell you about my other resume. I come in here, and that served me well, because AA does what AA does, and OA does what OA does. And uh, the biggest thing I did that was changed was not only would humble myself and go through the steps and... He knows everything about me, and, and a fearless and fourth step is I started emailing my food, and I've been, I've been doing that almost for 10 years, and I'm very serious about that, and, and, and I'm not the type of sponsor that makes people do things, but I strongly suggest because of how well it worked for me, so I was just doing it, and at the time, talking about my food like that, I was like, no way, I'm not going to tell you what I put in my mouth, you know, come on, let me just read the big book, and this will go away, and it didn't, and of course, it started out, you know, like I like to say, like a, like a dump truck, and then it, it cleans up. It just cleans up. There's a knowing. In these 12-step programs, we reactivate our conscience, and we know with a power greater than ourselves. And so I stumbled into this, put it in writing. A recent study suggests keeping a food diary can double your weight loss. I'll just say that because it's outside literature. Well, so if you're doing that, coupled with the steps, outreach calls and meetings, how could you lose? And I didn't. You know, and I didn't have a goal. You know, I'll tell you what happened to me. When I came in out of this relapse, I, people said, what's your goal? We talk, we look at each other. I don't do that stuff. I, that, something happened in that bottom. I don't care how you, I mean, I care that you're doing well, but I don't, so-and-so is this. Blah, blah, blah. So they say, what's your goal, Walter? I just want to do what the 12 and 12 said. Because that's what my sponsor, Bob, said to me a long time ago. He says, Walter, don't do what you do. Do what the 12 and 12 says. He said, believe me, your head doesn't work. And I was like, what are you talking about? I'll get the Bible. I'll get the collected works of Carl Jung. Well, I didn't say the Carl Jung thing, but I said the Bible. He said, you've got the mind of a chronic addict. It's going to fall out of your head. He says, get the steps first. And I didn't forget that. And I just started emailing the food, taking the actions, going to these retreats, and the weight just started coming off. You know? And I weigh between 175 and 178. 
and I've almost better part of 10 years I'm closing in on. That, if that was the goal, I wouldn't have done that. So I prom now I do work to maintain this because it seems this is where, where my higher power wanted me. And I've been as low as 168. Uh, I think it was a little anorexic. It's a little tough when we get into maintenance because for me, anyway, I'll speak for me, because of the buzz of losing the weight. So you want to constantly be making sure you're doing that. So letting go was, was, was a tough thing. But it worked. You just keep coming back. And, and, and this is just beyond my wildest. I told you what's happened to me the first 10 years. It's just been a hell of a roll, a roller coaster ride for me. And I am so, so grateful because while sobriety and all that was very important, all of it's important, the biggest wound I had in my life, you know, I used to be called fat ass, bubble butt, uh, hump, uh, lipids when I worked at the chart house. Someone one time put that down, you know, and, and I could all, you know, and it was just, just so humiliating. And that was a real wound. And to get this type of physical and what I hope is spiritual recovery is just beyond my wildest. And, and what I'm like today, I'll tell you exactly what I'm like. Step 11. I really want God's power to do my thing. And I've been saying this for a long time because if I really turn it over to him, what's he going to do with me? I don't know, you know. And I kept saying that and I love exposing my stuff because when I do that, then the right things occur. And now I'm right back at step two. All of a sudden, I find myself reading step two. I'm really, really interested in step, step two. And why is that? Because on honest appraisal, I haven't been serious enough about, about certain things in my life. My resurrected ego has taken me as far as it's going to go, and I get it. I don't know if that has to do with my age. I'd like to tell you it has to do with my spiritual enlightenment. Probably is because I'm in the last third of my life, but I get it, man. I need God in my thinking. My thinking, it's all about the thinking of the big book. It says the problem centers in our minds. Step two is my mantra now. And then from there, I'll work the steps and we'll see what happens. So let me open up to some questions. Thanks for letting me share. tell you, um, uh, the steps are constantly a growing thing. You know, you, you know what, what I understood about the steps my first year, completely radical from what they're like now, and I'll explain that in two ways. First of all, read the principles. Each is a good question. Each of the steps do contain a principle. Step one is honesty. Step two is hope. Step three is faith. Step four is courage. Step five is integrity. Step six is willingness. Step seven is humility. Step eight is brotherly love. 9 is justice, 10 is perseverance, 11 is spiritual awareness, and 12 is service. So my first inventory was my deep, dark secret. That's all it was. It was a bunch of nonsense. But my sponsor at the time said, if you don't do your inventory, you're going to get drunk. And I believed him. I knew. We, I just knew the minute I saw I knew what that was. And it was a just a, I was a young boy, sexual stunt. And, and so I had to share this. And when I realized I wasn't the only one. That was just... 
I made it bigger than it was. Not nice. I'm not exonerating myself. You know, that's between me and God and my higher power. The, it was my third inventory where the, where the steps really got my attention. I said earlier and earlier in my share was self will not reveal self to self. This is probably my second year. So I'm writing down all these resentments. And I have all these re- resentments with men that I'm working with. They're picking on me. They never want me this, that, all this stuff. And when I wrote down what I was angry about, Bob said, what is that? And I looked at it, and I saw the word jealousy. But I didn't write that. I did not write that. I was jealous of these men because they had homes, they had wives, they had bigger titles, they had a much more positive uh, experience in terms of their formative years than I did, and I was a crazy maker. You know, I was a crazy maker. I was creating the problem because of my jealousy. A sick thing, but that's what I was doing. Now, like Chuck C. says, you can't handle the problem until you know what the problem is. You know, I don't have those jealousies anymore, and I know some of those men. I just don't. You know, my life, it is, there's a lot of loss in my life, but I'm a miracle man, and I have a lot of great things in my life that they don't get to have. You know, we do this work, the scales get balanced. So the steps are a growing thing. I would just say for anyone new, you know, you just keep coming back and you do the steps to the best of your ability. You know, admitting you're powerless over food, your life is unmanageable, step two. That has to do, that has to do not with you being insane, soundness of mind. I mean, resentment, spiritual disease are things like resentment, gossip, jealousy, envy. I thought you could always uh, justify those things, but you can't. And the third step is turning your life and your will over to care of God, and that's an ongoing thing, man. I mean, if I could master that, I would have graduated a long time ago, but it means more and more. I mean, I am right now at another surrender. You know, so these steps are always growing and ongoing, and I'll say something about uh, the eighth step, ninth step. There was a woman I was involved with for seven years back east. This was a very significant relationship, very significant, that there was a ton of love on the front end, and we were both very unconscious, uh, just my alcoholism, whatever, whatever. And so, you know, when I saw the amends, I I thought of this person, but I said, ah, you know, I, I had an NFL mentality offsetting penalties. I know I did this, but she did this. And, and I thought of that for a year. I did. Anyway, my conscience was reactivated and I made those amends. Thank you for letting me share.